All right, so like Rex mentioned, we've come a long way in the last few weeks, seven to be exact. I thought seven would be the perfect number to use for our sermon series through Revelation. Some of you don't, maybe didn't hear that sermon uh, where we talked about seven representing perfection or completion or God, those kinds of things. And there's a lot of different things that numbers are used to symbolize, imagery, all kinds of things in Revelation. And hopefully uh, there's been a lot that's happened between chapters one through 20. Today we're talking about Revelation 21 and 22. And I'm hopeful that as you've been reading through the text or as you will maybe in the future with some historical context and with some text from context from the text that you become more hopeful about John's message to the church. And in addition, kind of have developed this recognition that the message that John has been sharing, this prophetic message, is, is really not any different from the same consistent message that God has been sharing through his people since the beginning. Um, in other words, it doesn't matter what else is happening or what, are, what we find ourselves going through. We, we know that the promises of God are going to continue to be made and be fulfilled through Jesus. And nothing is going to stop God from making all things new. And because of this, we're an encouraged people, we're a hopeful people, and a prepared people. And when we are, we tend to look forward to what God is going to do rather than being fearful about what may come. But in order for that to happen, we need a divine perspective. And so we get the letter of Revelation from John to the church. And we find apocalyptic literature, crazy imagery and symbols and wild pictures that that are given that are meant to remind us there's a spiritual reality at work among the physical reality in which we live. There's an entire universe out there that is in God's hands. But we can get so hyper-focused on our own little worlds that that becomes the lens through which we view the world versus looking at it through God's lens, through the scope of eternity. By the time we get to the end of Revelation, John has given multiple pictures of the cycle of humanity through several different vantage points. He's reinforced the good news of Jesus being more powerful than any other gospel or any other news that is uh, given from any other part of life. He's given us a heavenly view of the tension we feel in the battleground of our hearts between good and evil. And now we finally get a view of what God has been moving humanity to all along which is the same thing he gave us at the very beginning. We just happened to mess that one up, if you remember, in Genesis. Only this time, because of Jesus, we won't be choosing ourselves over God this time. And so in Revelation 21 and 22, we get a description of heaven. Or maybe it's a little bit more helpful to think of it like this. We get a description of what life will be like when everything has been made new. So with that in mind, let's read Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who, is seated on the, who was, he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There's lots of ideas and hopes, I think, about what heaven is going to be like. If we went around the room and everybody kind of got an opportunity to say what they hope heaven is like, we get all kinds of different answers. I know some things we think, oh man, never quite thought about that before. Other things would be like, I don't even understand why that would be in heaven. Um, For example, 
I know a lot of us would think, I hope heaven is not just us singing in a choir for an eternity, right? Um, do we get our own personal individualized harps, you know, or the, you know, stringed instruments? Now, some of us, like, that would be heaven. <laughs> I mean, I can play guitar, you know, for an eternity. That, that's amazing. We get a pretty good band together, I would think, and once, we're up there, uh, once we're up there together. Some of us are like, not so much. Uh, I would just go ahead and let you know there are going to be some things in heaven. Maybe you haven't thought about this. Maybe, maybe you already know this already. There's going to be golf in heaven. I don't know. <laughs> I just wanted to go ahead and let you, let you know that, um, so that, that will be there. There are going to be animals in heaven. Uh, we'll be able to enjoy that. That's going to that's gonna be there. Um, I know I'm going to travel uh, a lot around the globe, uh, see all the places, because I, I want to see all the places. And I know I'm not going to be able to get to that this side of heaven. Even if I traveled like every day of my life, I couldn't get to see everything that I want to see. So I plan on doing a lot of traveling. Uh, so if you guys want to join me, that would be great. Um, this one... I, I really want to be able to time travel in heaven. And I'm not saying I know how this would work, but I want to be able to go see and observe uh, moments in history. You know, like, and I don't know what, the, you know, some like VR experience where you can like put on a headset and just kind of go and be in these. And I don't know how this would work. I'm not saying I've got it all figured out. I've, I figure God can take care of that, right? Um, but I, I want to be able to do that. Uh, Lots of different ideas, lots of different thoughts, and we're not going to get into all of the weeds into that this morning. Um, we're going to talk about how heaven is meant to impact our lives now. The, the fact is, like, we've got that hope, that we've got that future to look forward to, and most of us um, probably remember a time in our lives, even if it's not right now, where we've thought about heaven in terms of that is a place that we are going to go to, and we look forward to leaving here and going to that place. But if you reread this text and kind of look, look through it, we, we see that's not the description that John gives us, and that's not what he's shown. In fact, Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new, new earth, and God bring heaven down to this new earth. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, we read John giving the description of God is now making his home in and among and with his people. And what Revelation 21 is doing is it's not just describing the future hope of heaven that we have and a place that we will go to, um, but it's describing the reality God has been working toward all along that he wants to share with us and he will bring down to us. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, uh, we call the sermon series on Revelation everything uh, everything new. Revelation 21.5, God who is king says, I'm making everything new. There's going to be a new creation. The old earth is going to be completely different. Uh, the text in John, John says, uh, there's not going to be any more sea. Why, why not sea? I think there's probably going to be bodies of water, but why aren't there seas? Because seas serve as boundaries between nations and between peoples. Uh, simply put, there's going to be unity between all people in this new city that is coming down to earth, this heaven that we have hope for. This old earth is going to be gone away with. The old way that we live is, is going to be no more. If we continue on the chapter in verse 9, John says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. 
you continue on, uh, and it's interesting imagery here, especially if you think about in the New, uh, New Testament how the church is described as the bride of Christ. You know, the people of God are coming, coming together. Uh, later on, John is giving, given measurements of, of heaven. And I know sometimes it's kind of one of those things where we're like, oh, well, let's do the math on that. How long is that? It's like 1,400 miles. You, you know, it's a huge city. Like, what, what's the deal with all these measurements? And earlier in the text, we read measurements of the temple, and you see that in the Old Testament as well. Well, the whole point is that there's plenty of room for everyone as this place that God is creating that, that Jesus is preparing, preparing a place for. Uh, continue on in verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, it's pretty, you know, a city's fortifications are pretty important, especially in the day and age that John is writing. And being able to shut your gates when you need to to protect the city is pretty, uh, pretty significant, especially at night. But that's never going to be a consideration in the place that God is preparing and bringing in the new creation that he is, he is uh, bringing forth in heaven. There's no need to shut gates. There won't be any enemies. Can you, can you imagine life without any enemies? I don't know how many en enemies you have right now in your life. Do you keep track in a little black book? I don't, I don't know. You won't have to worry about that. There won't be any outcasts, nobody to keep outside the walls. There won't be anyone who is, who is toxic, who, who's, who's there with, within us, uh, with, with us. All of those things, all of those interpersonal relationships, all those conflicts that we tend to experience and kind of share in the ways that we think about people and stuff, we won't have to have worry about any of those things because in this place, there's room for everyone and everyone is invited. Now, this is shocking. This is a shocking thing, and it would be just as shocking to the audience that John is writing to who cared a lot about social order, deciding who's in or out. I mean, this is the interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees constantly, Right? And deciding who was in and out, and it, and, it, and it can be shocking us to us today. I think heaven is, uh, I think there's some things that we think about and would like to see there that, that we're going to see represented. I also think that it's going to blow our minds at, at how different it is from our conception of what it should be. And this is just the beginning. In Revelation chapter 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. We read this before. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There's no sickness. There's no pain. There's no pandemics. There's no politics. There's no doctors or lawyers or police or jails. There's no preachers. Thank goodness. Won't need them anymore. No, no I have no idea what I'm going to do in heaven. I'm kind of looking forward to that. It's like, what's, what's, my, what's my job going to be? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about that get to find out what I get to be when I grow up. No armies. Every tongue, tribe, and nation will be represented. No prejudice, no dividing lines, no need for borders, no guilt, no shame, no regret, no worry or stress or anxiety, no anger, no need to be concerned about finances or poor living or working conditions, no physical or mental health concerns or limitations, uh, no need for weddings or funerals or divorces or broken dreams, no murder, no theft, no weariness, no cynicism, no distrust, no temptation. We could keep going, but hopefully in your imagination there's a new reality being shaped that maybe you've thought about before but don't conceptualize 
quite often enough. And that's why John gives us this description to read and be reminded of. Heaven is life as God designed us to experience it and designs for us to share, to be able to share with, with one another. And so without any of these broken things in existence, imagine what life then is like with all of the goodness that we experience in between the badness in this life. A perfect body in a perfect world with a perfect God. In heaven, everyone is invited and no one is hurting. And there's no pain any longer because the separation that we experience now between us and our creator is no longer there. In Revelation chapter 21, again, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. There's no temple. There's no need for a church building, you know, however we want to conceptualize that because God is now with us directly. There, there is no separation between him and us. We don't have to go somewhere else to worship, which is actually already kind of the way they're supposed to live our lives now. In Genesis, God created light days before he created the sun, moon, and stars because God provides all the light we need. Like that, that's the light that truly matters. God's home is now among his people. Everyone is invited in heaven. No one, was, no one is hurting, and God is fully present. In Revelation 20, 21, again, uh, verse 24, the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's going to be no evil. There's going to be no curse. We talked about the conflicting messages of the kingdoms of this world versus the kingdom of God that Jesus came and died for and resurrected and sustains in our hearts and minds. And, and we won't ever have to worry about the, um, oh, the desires of other people with power and authority and wealth, the oppression, the persecution that comes along with broken systems in this world that can't help but be destructive. Imagine being able to live your life in the exact perfect expression of purpose and meaning in who you were designed to be, with the perfect balance of meaningful work and rest and play, with no time limits to steal away any of the joy that we get from any of it. Yeah, yes, I, by the way, there is going to be work in heaven. Um, can you imagine having the perfect job? You know, whether or not you think of that in terms of a hobby or the things that you enjoy to do. I mean, maybe you've always wanted to be a woodcarver. I, I don't know. Like, there's going to be creativity. God created those types of tasks, those kinds of purpose and meaningfulness in the garden before the fall. Like, there's going to be purpose. There's going to be meaning. We're going to be sharing in the creative, uh, you know, I don't know. God is infinitely creative, and, and we're going to be partners with him in that creativity in heaven. In perfect harmony of relationship with one another, the time we'll be able to spend with loved ones and people we've never even known. Civilization in which there are no concerns among its citizenry. Like we might actually wave to everyone and smile and say, hey, how's it going when we walk down the sidewalk, right? There's no tension in any of that. The get-togethers are going to be amazing. Um, can you imagine like a potluck in, in heaven? You know, sometimes, you know, potluck, you're not sure how lucky you're going to get. It all, it all depends on, on where you are. Sometimes it depends on what region you're in the country. Like eastern North Carolina, potluck, oh, you're getting lucky. Like that, it's, that's amazing. They probably cooked a whole pig 
A uh, little further north, I don't, I don't know. Um, who, who knows? Um, perfect food that we don't have to labor over or be concerned about anyone not having enough. Indescribable, luxurious beauty in the new city whose very streets are gold and the earth surrounding is in perfect harmony with low humidity. It's going to be amazing. I, I, just, just the idea of being able to reach our full potential. I mean, the ways that maybe you feel limited now, that, that you think, man, I, I wish, I just wish I could do this. I just wish I could be this. I just wish I had time for, for this. Or, or maybe you look back in your life and think, oh, I just kind of regret not having the opportunity to do these things. And there's none of that in heaven. But more than any of that, there will no longer be any separation between us and our Creator and our Savior. And to me, this is the most astonishing and the most amazing and the most important part. And this, of course, much depends on your understanding of who God is and the significance of what Jesus has done in your life. But when the weightiness of the separation from God, our sin causes, sits in, the perfect removal of that is overwhelming to me. There's no longer any disconnect. Heaven will be a better existence than we can imagine, and it's also closer than what we often envision. In heaven, everyone is invited, no one is hurting, God is fully present, and nothing bad happens. Now, I, I don't know about, about you, but um, like I can't, I can't wait for that. I, I long for that. That's something that I look forward to. And, and it's not because I'm going to skip ahead at all. I, I love... Everything about I, what I get to do now, as far as interacting with people, you know, going through the seasons and stages of life, you know, I want, I want to, I want to see my kids grow up. If I have grandkids, like I want to see those things. I want to experience a long and happy relationship with my wife. I, I, I look forward to that. I look forward to the time that I get to spend with my friends and all of that kind of stuff. But man, to to be able to do that and not have any other concerns. Or, or anything that's going to cut that short to look forward to, that, that's something I'm looking forward to and I can't wait to experience. And so that view and picture of heaven gives us a hope of what to look forward to when we recognize that, you know, we're not going to be able to curate the perfect life that we want in this earth right now. But it's also not just a future reality. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, God, who is king, says, I am making everything new. He doesn't say, hey, at some point, if you wait long enough, it's, it's going to be great. Just, just trust me. But he says, I am making. According to the prayer of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, you guys might remember this part in verse 10. Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray when they ask him. Here's the rabbinical prayer that he gives to them. And part of it is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus teaches us to pray that, it's not just about, all right, God, we want you to figure out how to make that happen here. This is about us as disciples of Jesus living this out. That's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way. That's why he called his disciples to live in the way that he does. And that's why as we continue to read through the text and through the growth of the church, it's the same calling that we have as well. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is God's mission to us. And Revelation 21 is not just a picture of heaven. It also shows us the life God is inviting us into right now. And the type of way he calls us to live and interact with each other right now. We're living between two realities. We're living between the brokenness of our world 
and the wholeness that God is making, the shalom, the peace in which everything is being made right. God is making everything new, and I know that we are pulled in that tension. Uh, N.T. Wright uh, describes it like this in his book, Surprised by Hope. He says, to put it at its most basic, the resurrection of Jesus offers itself to the student of history or science, no less than the Christian or the theologian, not as an odd event within the world as it is, but as the utterly characteristic, prototypical, and foundational event within the world as it has begun to be. It is not an absurd event within the old world, but the symbol and starting point of the new world. The claim advanced in Christianity is, that of, is of that magnitude. Jesus of Nazareth ushers in not simply a new religious possibility, not simply a new ethic or a new way of salvation, but a new creation. The hope of heaven is not meant for just some future thing that we kind of hold on to now. It's, it's, it's meant to be a hope that causes us to live out that future today. And so how do we live in the in-between? Revelation chapter 22 John continues to give us a description in verses 1 through 5. He says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. One of the things that Jesus says about this light is that we are called to be the ones who are reflecting this light into this world, on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will, your will be done. And I know there are a lot of distractions in this life that kind of keep us from remembering this is the reality that we're called into, that the hope in, of heaven is a lot closer than we experience. Um, but there are clues. There's evidence along the way. Uh, consider, um, just, for, just for a few minutes, just how we build environments, right? So in order to show kind of the might and the expansiveness and the incredibleness of a country or a state or whatever, what do we build? We build huge monuments in the form of cities, right? Build, build big buildings, you know, huge structures, uh, a lot of concrete and glass and asphalt and all of those kinds of things. And um, what we discover when we do that is that they are less healthier environments for us, okay? Um, so, uh, for example, you could look up uh, heat islands and how that impacts the environment. Um, you can... Uh, there's lots of different things. You can Google that some other time. I'm not going to go uh, into that. But what's the, what's the solution for that in the way that we think of things and, and kind of build these things that we think is going to be a, like a huge testament to, to who we are, or how amazing our company is, what, whatever the thing is? Um, what we've discovered is that in order for urban environments to actually be healthy, we need more green spaces. All right, so the temperature rises because of the heat and asphalt and concrete glass. Stick with me for just a second. So what we've discovered is that we need more trees and we need more grass and we need more natural things. In fact, as we continue on more studies, we find as people are stay in their homes more and they're stuck to their screens more that people are less happy, they're more depressed, they're more anxious and stressed than ever, and that we're happier and that we have a greater well, sense of well-being when we spend time in nature our depression, our blood pressure, all of those things, uh, they kind of go, start to go in a positive direction when we spend more time outside. 
And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when we abandon cities or we abandon buildings and kind of leave them and, and just let kind of whatever natural happens, uh, have you ever noticed that nature starts to take back over? You know, have you walked into an abandoned building or kind of looked at a sidewalk and somehow there's grass, you know, popping up through the, through the cracks. And we're like, why are you there? Well, because you're supposed to be there. You know, but we're like, let's kill it and get rid of it. Um, Revelation 21:22 is not about what's happening to us or for us. It's about what God wants with us. And it's to live in such a way that sin and death do not have a hold on us. And the way that God um, began things with us, to share life with us, is he created, he created a garden. Because he wants us to be able to grow and cultivate a new creation life with him. And with a garden, um, we're given soil. And there's a lot of things that try to get into that soil, a lot of other things that we kind of put into that that aren't necessarily very, very helpful. Sometimes we'd rather just concrete over it, you know, and not have to deal with the maintenance and, and tending to it. But we're given soil to tend in our life. And sometimes there's weeds that come in, and we're called to remove the weeds that, that cause us division, pain, distance from God, and evil, whether it's personally or in our family or in our church or in the world around us. God gives us opportunity to amend the soil. He gives us spiritual habits. He gives us ways in which we're called, called to live. And you start to see that maybe some of the things that we've built up, kind of the monuments in our hearts, or maybe kind of the cities of uh, things that are impressive that we kind of hope will last and kind of be there for people to view and, and, and see for all time. Maybe, um, I don't know, maybe they're just not as important in light of the future hope of heaven and the way that God has called us to live now. And so maybe... Um, Maybe living out that hope looks a lot more like tending the soil that God has given us in our life to grow and cultivate. And so once we've done that, once we've tended the soil, well, then God gives us seeds to plant in our life that cause growth and hope and joy. Seeds like connection or service or worship or, or just doing good in which God calls us to connect with those who are different than us, to serve the church, to help hurting people, to commit to spiritual habits that make God real in your life, to stay connected to your church family, to do good even when it costs you. And then once we plant those seeds, then we do the work of nurturing that crop that God calls us to grow in our lives. I don't know if you've ever heard grass is greener on the other side, like we, we kind of know that. Well, the reality is, is grass is greener where you water it and take care of it. Um, we give our crops water and sun, whether it's for us emotional energy in our relationships and our time and our money, where we put those things determines what kind of things we're growing in our lives. A part of nurturing the crops is pruning. In our culture, a lot of times right now, the way that we think about pruning is getting rid of toxic people in our lives. The problem is that uh, like we're toxic people. So who, you, just, you just get rid of everybody, right? That means you're just not going to have anybody. I mean, God lets us into heaven. I, I don't know. I would say we're pretty, pretty toxic people. Maybe a redeemed way of thinking of this is needed because God will allow us to be, to be with him. But maybe pruning looks a lot like, well, what, what, are the, what are the motives of our heart? What's the purpose and meaning that we're in? Like, how is the hope of heaven affecting us now? It all started with a garden in, in Genesis, and Re Revelation ends with a well-designed, thriving city at the heart of which is a garden, a tree whose leaves are going to heal all nations. 
It's big enough for everyone. And what we're called into is to cultivate a way of life that honors the God who is making everything new. I mean, eternity has already begun for all of us. It began with the beginning of our existence. And what happens in this life now will end with a new beginning. And we're invited to share that new beginning with one another right now. And not just us in this room, but everyone who's out there. Because we've got people that are just stuck with, without the environment that God created us to thrive in. They're, they're focused on, on what's being erected for the cities and kingdoms of this world versus the kingdom of God that, that Jesus has invited us into. I just want to read uh, several verses from the rest of Revelation chapter 22, and that will, that will conclude our sermon series through this text. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the thing that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in the scroll. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. God, we are so grateful and thankful and hopeful for the future hope of heaven. God, help us to understand the conception of you working right now. You are making everything new through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the establishment of your kingdom here on this earth. And God, we, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you guide us in, in wisdom and boldness to uh, see how we might be a part of, of creating that new kingdom with you now. God, give us the, the perspective that, that only you can share with us to see how it's not just about what's happening in this life, but it's also about what's happening in the life to come. So God, help us to, to live with a renewed sense of purpose and meaning and hope by seeing through the, the, the lens, the scope of eternity, the way that you, you view all things. God, help us to be the type of people who um, are ready for the hope of heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.